The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Jonathan Ruth here. I'm your guest host today and I'm very happy to say it's warm and sunny finally here in the great state of New Hampshire where I'm located uh, hope, hope you all uh, enjoying some fine weather. A uh, nice start to the spring as well. Today's topic uh, is on um, pain relief after surgery and on opiate abuse uh, after pain or, or after surgery. And I'm really pleased to have on the show today our guest, Dr. Gregory V. Hickman. Dr. Hickman graduated from University of Tennessee College of Pharmacy with a Bachelor's of Science degree in pharmacy in 1982 and completed his medical degree at the East Tennessee State University College of Medicine in 1986. He completed his residency in anesthesiology at UAB in 1990, and after which he began performing interscaling blocks for post-op, surgery, post-op shoulder surgery pain relief. As a pioneer of leading-edge pain management techniques, Dr. Hickman began working with Dr. James Andrews and joined him in opening the Andrews Institute in Gulf Breeze, Florida. Dr. Hickman serves as the medical director of the surgery center where he played an instrumental role in establishing the institute. He's also led a specialized program designed to enhance pain management techniques for ambulatory surgery that benefits patients in their homes as well as through rehabilitation. Dr. Hickman is a board-licensed anesthesiologist certified by the American Board of Anesthesiology and the American Academy of Pain Management. So without further ado, Dr. Hickman, it's great to have you on the show this afternoon. Thank you, Jonathan. It's, it's great to be here. Um, I love to talk about post-operative pain management because, as you can tell there, that's sort of been my area of interest and, and expertise for the last 25 years. And... Uh, Unfortunately, it's kind of real rainy down here on the Gulf Coast today, but uh, we'll get our sun back soon, I'm sure. Uh, but I uh, hope I'm not as pretty as it is up there, I guess. But thank you for having well, me. You're very welcome. And so our topic today uh, is, you know, really on, it's, it, it's a kind of a broad area, right? So it's opioid abuse, post-surgery, and also tips for safe pain, man- pain management. Right, right. And so the, the, the topic is a good topic because we're, we're developing new post-operative pain techniques, and uh, we, I've helped pioneer and develop some over the last eight years to try to minimize narcotic usage. And in anesthesia, the growth of regional anesthesia has been tremendous in the last 10 years. Uh, we've added uh, ultrasound use to regional anesthesia nerve blocks, to help us uh, get uh, better and our success rates be much higher. And now we're placing continuous catheters around nerves so that we can sort of keep the nerves a little bit numb 
and we can run this for three or four days to minimize our narcotic use post-op. Um, we do this for shoulder surgery, wrist and hand surgery, elbow surgery, knee and hip surgery, and foot and ankle surgery, and abdominal surgery, uh, and pelvic surgery. And, and, and we are doing um, so much more surgery. We're, I'm in an ambulatory surgery center that we built eight years ago. And you mentioned Dr. Andrews. He and I have been working together for about 23 years, and we built this facility on the Gulf Coast about eight years ago in Pensacola, and it's all outpatients. And the number of surgeries that we do on an outpatient basis now compared to 10 years ago is incredible. And one of the main reasons we we can do this is because our post-op pain management is so much better. And it's better because we're, we're using hopefully less and less narcotics. Because there are certain risks involved in using narcotics, and one is kind of the reason we're here today talking about this. Great. Well, certainly the issue of um, post-surgical opioid use and non-medical use of opioids or people using painkillers for non-medical purposes, uh, you know, is an area of interest to a lot of people. And I, I think that we certainly are hard-pressed nowadays to go a week without hearing something in the news about, uh, you know, somebody having a problem or overdosing on opiates, whether it's uh, prescription opiates or um, illicit opiates. And, um, you know, so I think this is certainly an area where developing alternative methods for pain management makes a lot of sense. And helping people find ways to to manage pain without using opioids and, and putting themselves at risk for further complications due to overuse or addiction um, is a great area. Yes, exactly. And, and unfortunately, we don't know when a patient has surgery for the last, I don't know, 50 years, uh, narcotics has been the mainstay of, of treating their pain postoperatively. And what I've just recently learned is the potential for addiction and and uh, what we we just don't know which patients might have the uh, broken brain that the, or the potential to lead to addiction, and we don't you know most people do fine with narcotics and don't get into that, but then there's the certain patient population, and we can quickly lead them into an addictive uh, period of their life just by starting them with post-operative pain you know pain narcotics at first, mm-hmm. and, you know obviously for the pain, and then they don't realize it, they get into an addictive situation, and they never knew they, they were even susceptible to it before. And uh, right. so if we, can, if we can avoid narcotics and minimize narcotics, it's, well, even the, even the patients that don't have the addictive potential, um, the side effects of narcotics are usually disruptive to, to post-op patients anyway, the significant nausea and vomiting and and uh, constipation, urinary retention, and just a long list of uh, narcotic side effects, cognitive dysfunction in, in the elderly uh, is, is a terrible problem with narcotics. So there's a lot of reasons we want to get away and minimize narcotics, and, and, uh, and that's what, what we're hopefully this country is, is leading in, in that direction. We, we've started it here and we're trying to get more and more people to, to use these techniques around the country. Right. So, you know, I mean, you mentioned just really an interesting point that, you know, 
that's really been a more recent, in more recent years, has been a lot more focused on developing non-narcotic approaches. Can you talk a little bit about sort of how, how things have evolved in terms of uh, pain management? Yes, I have. And like I said, I, I've, I've been interested in this uh, my whole career. Uh, when I finished my training at, at UAB in Birmingham, Alabama, um, I stayed on, on staff and, and at the University of Alabama and started in 1990. We started our first acute pain service, post-operative pain service, where anesthesiologists were involved in managing pain post-operatively in, in the hospital. And at that point, it was still significant narcotic usage, even though, and then we started using epidural narcotics at that point. And uh, then in, that was in, in 90, and then, and then I started working with Dr. Andrews in 92. Probably in the late 90s, we started switching to more of what we call regional anesthesia, and where we would use nerve blocks, where we just, like you go to the dentist and we use a local anesthetic and like they numb up your mouth, we would numb up just your one leg uh, that was having yep. the surgery on it. And uh, we started doing that in the late 90s. And then uh, in, in 2007, I started using uh, what we call a continuous catheter uh, or a continuous regional anesthetic. And uh, we've been doing that. Like I said, we're now able to do cases on an outpatient basis that would have never been able to do that before. But, and what we do is we, we put a continuous catheter and, um, near the nerve, and then we numb it up really strong. It's really numb the first day of surgery. And then we leave mm-hmm. this catheter and we hook a pump up to it. We use what's called an on-cue pump. It's a little elastomeric pump that doesn't require any batteries or any electrical components, and it'll infuse uh, for three to four days. We usually use our, leave our catheter in three to four days because most surgeries are past the worst part of their pain within four days. And so if we feel like if we can get, them, get patients over that initial hump where that severe pain is, uh, then we can control them with 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 not as much pain medicine after that point. And, uh, and, that, and that's worked out really well in our practice. I mean, sometimes right. when the catheter comes out, they may still eat a little, little pain medicine for a few days, but many, many of my patients tell me they, they never even take a single narcotic after they leave. Um, okay. And, and they, because we got them through the hard part, and then they're able to go with something like Tylenol or an anti-inflammatory medication after that. And these are all patients that are being seen for outpatient surgery or are these in, inpatient surgeries as well? Well, both. Uh, my facility is just outpatient, but uh, you, we also, this is very common in, in inpatient surgery too, um, especially patients having total joint replacements, total shoulders, total knees, and they will do this. They'll put the catheter in and actually is allowed, certain facilities will put that catheter in and then the patient can go home within a couple of days. Uh, used to, patients were staying in a week or four or five days, and now they're mm-hmm. able to go home with this catheter and the on-cue pump and actually get them an, a chance to go home sooner from the hospital and still have good pain management um, and, and discharge sooner. Well, I'm sure that a lot of patients are, are grateful for that because nobody wants to spend longer than they need to in the hospital. 
And exactly. if it's just a matter of managing pain, right? But they've got if they have a system that's working for them, they're happy to be out of the hospital and at least in the comfort of their own home, which I would assume also has an impact on their experience of pain. Oh yes, exactly. I mean, you know, you don't want to stay in the hospital because there's there's a lot of reasons. You, you know, you want to get out of there. You, you want to be at home. You want to be around. You're comfortable. What you're comfortable with, and then there's always risk of uh, infections and things in a hospital, which are maybe possibly less on when you're at home. And uh, so patient and patients just like being at home. Our, we have a lot of patients. Um, well, almost all of Dr. Andrews' patients are from out of town, so they're staying in hotels and condos, but they still like that better than, than being in a hospital. And we're doing right. major multi-ligament knee surgeries that, you know, we would have never thought of doing this as an outpatient 10 years ago. Right. Right. Well, it's really incredible what kind of advances are being made. Um, you know, one of the things that I think, uh, you, you know, is just really uh, would be interesting, I think, for people to hear about, too, is, you know, some of these techniques, are they being, you know, are they being widely dispersed around the country or, you know, are these things sort of emerging locally and regionally and, and you know, do, are we seeing differences in different parts of the country in terms of the practice of pain management? Now that that's a great question. It's it's um, it is kind of variable. We're trying. Uh, I I go all over the country trying to teach these techniques. I taught a course this weekend in Orlando uh, with the OnQ company. Actually sponsored the people that make the pump. They sponsored a, a meeting and brought physicians into Orlando, and we had uh, we had a cadaver lab where we could uh, study the the anatomy, and then and uh, we had the ultrasound. Uh, machines uh, teaching the uh, ultrasound techniques on how to do the nerve blocks, so that um, we we're, it's 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 funny how slow how hard it is because most anesthesiologists like myself were not trained with ultrasound and we weren't trained doing these techniques. Um, you know when when we trained back in the late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s, uh, even ultrasound has only been around in the residency programs for less than 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. routinely. So we're trying to train physicians that have been out in practice on a, a really a new technique that's very different for them. So we're trying, right. this is, it's, a, it's a, growing, uh, a growing thing, and regional anesthesia is growing. Like I said, it's taken off in the last 10 years, but there's still a lot of growth to be done in this area of education and getting physicians on board. Terrific. Well, I think that that's true in, in a lot of areas related to pain management, but also pain management, but also in addiction. And uh, when we come back from the break, maybe we can talk a little bit more about uh, physician training and um, what what our doctors are learning about uh, addiction and pain management in their early parts of their careers, and how we're helping uh, more experienced physicians, uh, you know, adopt to the new techniques. We'll be right back after this commercial break. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Healthcare today is full of complex questions and even more complex answers. On top of making choices about healthcare, how do you know that you're making the right choices? Natural medicine or conventional medicine? Should I seek a second opinion? What if I just don't feel right about the treatment I am recommended? Get the answers by tuning in to Rising Through It with Dr. Danielle McDuff, live every Friday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Good afternoon, everybody. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier, and welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This Monday, April 13th, 2015. And our guest today is Dr. Gregory Hickman, uh, who is speaking to us on the topic of opioid abuse post-surgery and tips for safe pain management. Now, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about um, the education process for physicians and the importance of getting information out about safe pain management techniques. And Dr. Hickman, maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, you know what what your experience was in your in medical training around you know how 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 you were or weren't educated about the potential for addiction and in particular with your specialty of anesthesiology. Yeah, in, in anesthesiology, when I trained. Um, as far as in the pure the anesthesia world in the operating room segment, there was no training at all. We didn't understand addiction at all, and we did have some training in in chronic pain management, and we touched on addiction slightly, but really we didn't understand it well back then. I think there's been a lot of breakthroughs in in the last ten to ten to fifteen years that uh, that a lot of guys trained before that time that that don't but didn't get exposed to to that because we didn't know about it. And in, in anesthesia training today, I'd still doubt there's a lot, even in surgeons, um, the surgeons and anesthesiologists that treat postoperative pain don't get a lot of specific training about addiction and the risk of addiction. We all know it's there, and I think a lot of surgeons just don't understand the potential or 
and I don't know of any way, you know, potential ways to screen for it and be aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be that, that I don't even know, but uh, it's still a, an area that, that we still need a, a continuous training and education and, and updating uh, in our fields. And even in, in the anesthesia meetings that we go to now, we have a lot of great meetings on how to treat post-operative pain and, and anesthesiologists getting more involved in, in post-operative pain management. But, you know, it's something that we really don't touch on is, is the addiction potential and, uh, and how to uh, be aware of that and try to, try to avoid it. So I still think there's a, a lot to be improved on in, in that area for sure. Yeah, well, I think I think that's really true across the country, and you know, you you really hit the nail on the head that it's um, oftentimes for medical training it's very sparse, unless you you know unless you elect to take a, a course in addiction medicine, um, there's not much available that's part, you know sort of part of the regular curriculum, um, and I think a lot of doctors uh, end up sort of learning on the fly through through trial and error through experiences uh, that they have in their practice. Oh, I agree, and, and or they learn. I've probably learned more from a, a personal uh, nature. Uh, learned more of, uh, about addiction just through you know uh, family members and and, and 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 being educated through uh, through that through the addiction system through the treatment system as opposed to through medically, and uh, and so that. That's sort of a, you know, that, of course, you take that to heart a little bit better, too. And it was very interesting what I learned that I never, never heard about in, in medical school or residency or in our training or even here about in, in our CME conferences. And so, um, yeah, we've got to figure out a better way to get that, get more surgeons, anesthesiologists, anybody treating any kind of pain, uh, chronic pain management, the risk of addiction to uh, try to help us and help uh, help down this this road. So with that with that personal experience then how how has that impacted your um, your practice and your uh, sort of drive to really look at non-narcotic approaches to pain management? Yeah yeah it's a good question it's it's interesting it I have always I've always just wanted to minimize narcotics uh, anyway, just because of the side effects and because of, of how tough it is on patients. And, and now I've learned, you know, and, and I've just, it's come to mind that if, if you could prevent someone from going down into addiction road, you, that has a major effect on someone's life. And um, it, can, it can just destroy people. And, I, and I've learned how hard an addiction can uh, be on somebody's life and, certainly turn it upside down and you hear the stories of people losing their families losing you know losing their their spouse and children to because of addiction and it's truly an illness that I didn't understand before it's it's truly an illness that, that really doesn't have you don't have you know there's no drugs or way to treat it that well and it's, it's a, a lot of therapy and, and addiction management and so the main thing I've learned is it's truly an illness and people just can't help it. And if we can keep them from getting exposed to it uh, by our post-op pain management techniques, by avoiding narcotics, then we're going to be so much better. Right. And the patients can be so much better. 
Exactly. You know, we we referenced in our um, in our promotion of the show that uh, in a New York City Department of Health study reported in the Journal of American Medical Association in June of 2013 found that newly prescribed opioids after short stay surgery are associated with a 44 percent increase of risk of becoming a long-term opioid user within one year. That's just staggering. Wow. Wow. That is impressive. And like I said, I've, I've, I've been all over the country, and it, I was actually in Cape Cod I don't know, a couple of years ago uh, trying to help you know, teach our, some of our techniques. And they said they, had, they were like one of the highest areas in the country for um, narcotic addiction, and, and it was often you know, the case where it was you know, a, an iatrogenic or physician um, you know, due to physician prescribing, and, right? And that's forty. That's I didn't know. Not know that. That's incredible. Yeah, it's a it's a huge, it's a staggering number. And you know, um, I think we'll get. You know, there, there's more information available every day about the impact of, of opioid uh, or um, misuse of opioids. Um, in July of 2013, the CDC uh, reported that more women die from prescription medications than from car crashes. Um, and 42 women a day roughly die from prescription drug overdoses from uh, opioid painkillers. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's a terrible it's a terrible problem. And we've always been careful. Uh, I mean, Dr. Andrews has always been very careful with his narcotic uh you know, we 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 very very limited. And of course, we deal with a lot of he deals with a lot of professional athletes, and so uh, I've been taking care of professional athletes from all over the world. And certainly, we don't want to get them in in that in that arena and and uh, risk their their potential addiction if they have the underlying illness that that they would know about it. So, and actually, anyone we don't want to get anyone down that in that uh, started down that path. It's obviously easy. easy uh, to do with 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 those kind of statistics, it's, it's incredible, right? And uh, just being on here with well, you, it, it makes it even more pertinent to me, and and uh, you know, gets my mind thinking more along those lines too. And something I can use, just being here with you, is educating me to help me go out and teach other physicians even the importance. I talk more about narcotic side effects, but this is obviously a, a very important arena to be involved and talked about too. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting that, you know, um, I mean, we're, we're focusing right now, you know, just on the, uh, you know, post-surgical pain, but, you know, folks who go in to see their primary care doc, you know, with a back pain issue, you know, are being prescribed, um, you know, maybe they're getting, uh, you know, a quantity of Percocet or, you know, some other opioid like, uh, you know, uh, painkiller that, you know, is really, you know, they, that might that situation might resolve in a couple of days, but then, okay, so there's still, you know, 45 or 50 pills left in that person's prescription in their medicine cabinet, and who knows what's happening with those, you know, over time. So um, it's really, uh, it's an interesting area where we're, where people have generally have very liberal access to something that has, uh, you know, such potential for da- for damage and destruction. Right, and I can give you a, a story of, as you mentioned, my background is I actually got a pharmacy degree from the University of Tennessee before going to medical school, and one of my classmates, a few years after we were out 
of of college, and he was working at a hospital in in, in Knoxville, and he got hit in the parking lot by a physician. And of course, the physician wanted to help him out and take care of him, it, and was started writing uh, narcotics for for his pain from from the uh, from the accident. And the guy ended up coming addicted, ended up losing his job, losing his pharmacy license, and and all this happened. And, and this was a guy when we were in school, you would have never dreamed something like that would happen. I mean, it was just he was a great guy, no no potential for what we thought back then, you know, you know, some kind of a drug addict or something. You know, we just didn't know he had the uh, the the nature, the the chemical nature to be at risk for addiction, and it happened easily to him. And that's a story that easily comes back to my mind, thinking this was probably 20 years ago that this, this happened. And I'm now, now I'm better educated on it, and I understand how that happened a little better now. Mm-hmm. And, how they can, and as you said, it doesn't have to be surgical or post-operative, just uh, any kind right. of pain, uh, neck pain, back pain, fracture, uh, where they get started on narcotics, and you can end up going down a, a, a life of addiction. Right. It's really sad. It is, and uh, you know, it's 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 something we all sort of, you know, unfortunately, it we all, we often don't discover it until we're looking back, right? And this is uh, it's kind of a rearview mirror problem in a way, you know, because. People go and, you know, they want relief from something that's bothering them, and then they get that relief, but then there's that, the next step of that, which, uh, you know, somebody's brain gets lit up, and uh, and they have a hard time stopping. It's exactly. Really yeah, and I think the general public, the physicians, we don't understand addiction well, and, and what you just said is sort of what what most of us don't understand is they get more than just the pain management. Their their brain gets so excited, and they have such a, a an emotional feeling or um, euphoria or, or, or something that just gives them such a drive to want to have that more and more and more because it makes them feel so good. And most people, you know, I can't stand Lord tabs. They make me feel just like awful. And uh, and but the but the people that have the the addictive nature they it's it's an incredible drive that they can't control and it's just they just got to have it and it makes them feel so good and we don't you know we most of us can't comprehend that and these poor folks just just they can't help it it's truly an illness that they can't control right that's right so, um, you know, one of the things that I think is really, uh, it still remains a question in the industry is, you know, why why is it that people feel they need to give either large quantity prescriptions or, you know, they're, they're not thinking about what's the best way to manage this in an acute situation and then, you know, refer to pain management. So when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit more about some alternative methods for pain management, and maybe you can give us a little bit more specifics on some of the work you're doing in that area. And, um, you know, maybe there's an opportunity here to provide, uh, you know, some information to other prescribers out there who are, who are looking for answers to help their patients. So we'll be back in just a couple more minutes uh, after this break. Thank you.
You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Do you know about Reiki? This method of healing can complement Western medicine as well as other alternative practices. Besides healing, it can have the additional effect of making you feel more positive about yourself and the world around you. By tuning into For the Love of Reiki with host Paula Vale, you'll find how Reiki can improve your health, bring balance into your life, and fill you with joy. For the Love of Reiki is broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Good afternoon, and welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier, and I'm here with our, our guest today, Dr. Gregory Hickman, who uh, we're talking with about safe pain management and about the issues of uh, post-surgical opioid abuse. And uh, Dr. Hickman and I are just talking at the break about, um, you know, what, what are some of the things that, that, uh, that can be done to help Physicians, you know, broadly in the community, become more aware of their own prescribing practice and and how they may be impacting people without knowing it. Um, so, Dr. Hickman, what what thoughts do you have about um, you know ways that we can uh, you know sort of help the physician community look at this issue? Well, I, you know, there continue there there there's a continuous need for physician education and uh, physician understanding. Like I said, there's been a lot learned about addiction medicine uh, since I went to med school and did my residency. So we need to get different subspecialties to educate their physicians, uh, not not only in training, but physicians that are out in practice. When they're going in for continuing education, there needs to be some more uh, involvement in, in looking at the literature, like you just said, where there's a the potential 44% incidence of narcotic abuse uh, with post-operative narcotic prescriptions. I don't think any surgeon 
or physician realizes the uh, the implication or the the risk involved when they're when they're writing narcotics because they they may not see it. You know, as we talked about, a, a, a physician or a surgeon may prescribe somebody narcotics and they go on and they do well in their post-op course and then they end up with an, an addiction situation and, and they may not go back to that surgeon. They may, may go on elsewhere, although it is probably more common they're going to go back to that surgeon and most surgeons are very careful and they know the normal realm of post-op pain and how long a, surge, a patient should need narcotics and they don't give them more than 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 the average or what what's typical, but sometimes physicians are just like everybody else, and they're there for a reason. The, most physicians are in medicine because they want to help people, and they can easily be talked into, uh, you know, giving somebody some more pain medicine or narcotics, and and thinking they're really helping someone when they're really not, and they're unfortunately uh, leading, you know, helping feed their their addiction. And I think that that's probably a, a case that happens at times. Oh yeah, I think I think there's um, there's a lot to be said for the the, the good intentions, you know, um, that, the, yeah. that physicians have, and um, and I think we are all aware too that it's uh, in this day and age the amount of time that a physician has to spend with somebody to really do a close assessment and see if what you know what would the risk be. Uh, you know, is there a potential risk for addiction with this particular patient of mine? Um, you know, uh, how do I screen for that? Uh, what kind of uh, collateral information do I need to, you know, to understand that? I mean, that, that amount of time is getting less and less available. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You, you, have, you don't have, most physicians don't have much time uh, to spend with patients to get a good history to know if there's, they're at risk or not. And, uh, you know, they're just moving forward. The, the demands on physicians to see more and more patients uh, uh, is, uh, is tremendous. And so you're right, that's not, a, not an option that, that, that's, that's easily done, and it gets skipped over, I'm sure. So one of the things that I, I think would be, uh, would be helpful would be to um, maybe have you explain a little bit about what other techniques are being used now for for pain management, both from surgery, but if there are other alternatives for, uh, you know, for primary care physicians and others, uh, you know, to know about, um, you know, so that if they've got somebody that they are concerned about, you know, treating uh, with either a history of addiction or, or they're just trying to, you know, improve their practice by using fewer narcotics, you know, what approaches can they look at? Right. Well, that's uh, what we in, in. We'll start with surgical. We had a actually had a. I don't know how to say this? We had an athlete one time, professional athlete, and uh, Dr. Andrews came to me and said, "This we've got to be very, very careful. This patient has had a history of problems, and uh, you know the league is watching him real close. And can we do the surgery and avoid narcotics?" And I said, "Well, I think we can. And the way, the way we do it, as I talked earlier." Uh, regional anesthesia is a major factor in anesthesia that has come come in the last grown in the last ten years to help patients limit their narcotics, and and the reason that has grown, we've had regional anesthesia has been around for uh, 150 years, but it's grown with the implementation of using ultrasound. Uh, ultrasound in anesthesia 
started about 10, 12 years ago, and now it's growing where we utilize the ultrasound machine to actually see the nerves, and we can actually see the needle go to the nerve, and we deposit the local anesthetic around the specific nerve going to the specific part of the body that's going to have the surgery or the pain, the pain management. So we can give the pain management that way. Um, and then, like I said, we've when you do a, a, just a nerve block, and like I said, I started doing uh, interscaling nerve blocks for shoulder surgery back in 1990. And we do that single injection. That lasts, oh, 18 to 24, probably 16 to 24 hours with that initial injection. But the problem is when you have shoulder surgery, it hurts a lot longer than 16, 18 hours. And so, like I said, in 2007, I started implementing a continuous catheter technique where we actually put a catheter around the nerve, hook up the, a, a pump that holds local anesthetics, and I use what's called an on pump. Like I said earlier, it's just an elastomeric pump. It's not electronic, so it's very, very simple, easy to use. And so patients take these home with them, and uh, we run, run a continuous infusion of local anesthetic so that you're not completely, completely dead numb, but you have just a slight numbness to treat the pain and manage the pain. And that usually, if you get it right on the, on the nerve just right, for orthopedic surgery, especially in the extremities, it works extremely well, and it manages their pain. The patients can control their pumps. We give them all kinds of directions and, and educate them about the use of the pump and the continuous catheter. And then when they're done with it on the fourth day, the morning of the fourth day, they just pull out the catheter and they throw everything away. It's very convenient for the patient, so they can just throw everything away, be done with it, and then uh, take their their pain medicine, narcotics, if they need to. Of course, they have. We give them narcotics during this time period, so that if it doesn't completely take care of their pain, their pain, they can uh, supplement it with uh, smaller doses of of narcotics or pain medicine. Now, okay. In other areas, non-surgery, we also, in the operating room, we use other, uh, because we're doing, the other reason we, we want to limit narcotics is um, in an outpatient setting, we've got to get our patients awake after surgery, recovered, and then discharged home, and they need to be stable and able to walk out and go home. And, and of course, they have to have someone with them to help them. They have to have a caregiver to help them manage their care but mm-hmm. they still have to be, you know, uh, outpatient ready or ambulatory. And, uh, you know, one of the things is we've got to have a patient. It's called ambulatory surgery for a reason. They have to leave and be ambulatory. So we don't want to give them a ton of narcotics and have them groggy, nauseated, uh, feeling bad just from the pain medicine. So we try to use other medications uh, like acetaminophen, Tylenol, yeah, we give IV acetaminophen. It works sometimes extremely well. We use anti-inflammatory drugs like um, ibuprofen, Motrin, uh, Aleve, Naproxen, those kind of drugs which help with pain management by decreasing the inflammation, and these drugs don't give you the narcotic side effects. And uh, there's a couple other drugs we give in the operating room, uh, small doses of, of, of ketamine, which that's very small, you can't really use that as an outpatient. So in the outpatient world, anti-inflammatory drugs, 
are extremely helpful with, with pain. The, the Motrin's, uh, like I said, Motrin, Aleve, um, there's just, there's a bunch of them out there and it's a very common, uh, a lot of people use them for arthritic pain and these drugs uh, are very good in decreasing your narcotic use. So for non-surgical or post-op surgical after, you know, you're not using a catheter, uh, these can be helpful. Tylenol is helpful, and you can take Tylenol and an anti-inflammatory medicine together. And we recommend that to use those to try to minimize narcotics also. Right. Well, it certainly sounds like there are a lot of options, and um, you know, coming out of coming out of surgery, I think you know, for a long time, that you know, a layperson's standard uh, thinking was that okay, I'm going to be you know, they're going to be giving me something for, they're going to be giving me painkillers, you know, right. and, and I think the, the name painkillers has become synonymous with narcotics uh, in recent years, and so, uh, but it sounds like certainly there's a lot of other options that people can consider. That's a, that's a very good point, and people do, it is synonymous for painkillers to be called, I mean, to be the what the lay people call narcotics, and we've we've got to continue to educate physicians to, try to use non-narcotic pain medicines, and we need to develop more. There's certainly more research uh, that needs to be done in this area and try to develop more non-narcotic post-op or, in general, pain medications to try to avoid the narcotic problems that we know we have. And I think one of the good things is we're learning more uh, about narcotics and addictive, you know, addictive uh, personalities and, and what leads to that and then, and I think that ups the need for more research and, and government uh, funding you know one of the problems with what I do with our techniques is Medicare and insur- a lot of the insurance companies won't reimburse the facility for us to be able to do the continuous catheters and use these kind of pumps for post-op pain management and it's it's really sad because we're, I think we're doing something great for the patient, and Medicare won't reimburse us for the fact that we're going to minimize or eliminate narcotics for this patient. And sometimes we have to say, you know, can you? Some people actually have the patients pay for it out of their pocket, and it's worthwhile. I would strongly recommend if they have that opportunity to do it. I would. So I think that's that brings up a really great issue. Maybe we can talk a little, a little bit more in our next segment, which is, you know, how does the funding of our of our healthcare system impact the choices that that physicians have for helping people with pain, both chronic pain but also uh, post surgical pain? And we'll be back in just a couple of minutes to talk a little bit more with Dr. Hickman about that. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned 
common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step-by-step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms, and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Well, good afternoon. Welcome back again, everybody. This is Jonathan Ruthier, your guest host today for one hour at a time. And I'm here with Dr. Gregory Hickman, and we're talking today about opioid abuse post-surgery and tips for safe pain management. And Dr. Hickman, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about how, um, you know, how healthcare funding can really impact physician choice in terms of, you know, what technique uh, that they're able to use to help somebody with pain, whether it's during surgery, post-surgery, or, you know, somebody who presents to their primary care doc or another specialist, you know, with, with pain as a, as a, as a complaint. So, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? What's your experience been? Well, one of the one of the issues you were talking about is this, like our techniques that we're using with regional anesthesia and continuous catheters, is that a national uh, trend, and is it, is it all over the country? Well, unfortunately, um, we've we've seen a problem where um, Medicare and certain carriers won't reimburse the facility for the uh, expenses to do this. I mean, we have to buy a pump. That we use, we have to buy a sterile kit with needles and the catheter and uh, the local anesthetics to put in the pump. So there's a significant amount of expense for the for the facility. That's minimum three to four hundred dollars, and Medicare won't reimburse the facility for that. And actually, um, uh, we were billing as for doing the procedure for the facility, so the facility would get reimbursed for that but not by Medicare. Blue Cross, our major insurance carrier in Florida, was paying for it. And then as of this year, they said, well, Medicare is not paying for that, so we're not going to pay for that either. And that happens around the country. And so facilities tell the physicians, you know, we're going to lose money if you put this catheter in and use this pump. So we really would rather you not do that. And unfortunately, that leads to more narcotics being written and used in, in areas of the country where they can't get re- they lose money if they use the technique that we're using. Fortunately, in you know, my facility, our our administrators are like, we want this to be done because it's best for our patients and they're going to do better. And so we continue right. to do it even though we're kind of losing a little bit of money doing it. 
Now, if you know you have a patient who has, you know, a history of substance use or, um, you know, who, who struggles with opiate addiction, you know, yeah. is there a process where you can get, uh, you know, an override, I guess, on that, on that Medicare reimbursement policy or request a you know, prior authorization based on some of those circumstances? Yeah, I'm not aware of the ability to do that. I don't think, I think Medicare just flat out says no, you know, and yeah. um, so far we haven't had the ability to do that. And it's, you know, we, we, you do see, we do see that patient, and that's one where we say, listen, we're going to do the best thing for this patient no matter what, and yeah. we're going we're gonna to do what we need to do, even though we know we're not, we're, we're not, we're going to lose money on it. Um, yep. And, but unfortunately, there are parts of the country, and it's variable. You know, the insurance carriers in different states are all di- all different, and some will reimburse and some won't. But that has been a major factor of limiting the ability to use our continuous catheter techniques for post-op pain management in certain areas of the of the country. Sadly, uh-huh. yeah. Well, I think it's it's pretty common that you know sometimes you know the funding doesn't keep pace with the with the research or with you know the application of new techniques and um, you know it, it takes pioneers like yourselves to be able to go out and say you know this really works this helps to offset other costs uh, in the healthcare system for patients that you know either have a risk for for developing addiction or um, you know for whom uh, you know being on narcotics would mean extra extra bed days in a hospital or um, you know, other potentially worse outcomes through falls and broken hips and everything else. Absolutely. I mean, the simple factor of the, of the fact that we can do a surgery as an outpatient saves the insurance carrier a tremendous amount of money versus being in a hospital three or four days getting narcotics and pain management. Uh, hospitals right. are very expensive for the, for the insurance carrier, and for that fact alone, I would think they would be more than happy to at least cover the cost. Uh, of the the pumps and and the drugs and the catheters required to uh, do the, this technique. You know, in your in your practice, do you have uh, you know do your patients ever sort of? And I would assume, as an anesthesiologist, you're meeting your patients for the first time when they get into the surgical center. So, um, you know, do you ever have patients that say, "Look, I'm you know I've got a history of problems with uh, with narcotics. You know, can you?" Make sure that you are taking a non-narcotic approach here, or you know, do you ever hear that from your patients? We do have that that request from patients, patients that 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 have had an addiction problem in the past, and they're clean and they want to stay that way, and uh, they're like, you know, can you can can we limit this? Can we avoid this? And and we say absolutely, we'll work the be- you know the best we can to help you. You know, another. Patients we get are uh, we get Olympic athletes sometimes, and and even you know even professional athletes that get tested, and uh, we yep. need to we try to limit their their exposure or at least we have to send a list to the Olympic Committee of what exactly we've given these patients, but uh, yeah we do see patients with with pro- that have had problems in the past and they're very cognizant of, of their situation and they want to avoid narcotics and and they're they're very motivated. A lot of these patients are, and they will tolerate some pain to try to limit and avoid their narcotic exposure. And yep. uh, now I have I have a tremendous amount of respect uh, for what I now know for these people because they know they know their situation and they will do absolutely their best to try to not end up back in a in a in a, in a dependent uh, lifestyle. Right. 
Right. Well, and those might also be the folks that, uh, you know, can take an advocacy role, too, with their insurance or with Medicare and say, you know, you know, it's really important that uh, there, there's an, a non-narcotic option available for people that, you know, have this, uh, have this situation where, you know, they can't stop using it if, they, you know, if they're prescribed narcotics. Absolutely. You know, it, like, as we, we're back to education again. You know, physicians need to be educated about, about these, these things, and also the insurance companies and, and Medicare, they need to be educated, and we're working on it. We're trying to get there. Um, it's, it's just a tough, tough road because they're, they're so big and they're so huge, and it's, it's hard to get the message to the, to the right, right folks to make sure they understand how advantageous these techniques are to all patients. Uh, right, but certainly to our patients with potential for addiction. Right, that's right. And so you mentioned that there are also some other new techniques being researched and uh, that don't involve narcotics. And um, you know, do you see uh, a lot of room for optimism that you know maybe at some point we'll be able to almost eliminate narcotics completely from the picture? Well, uh, yeah, but it's it's going to be a while. It's not something that's that's near on the horizon. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of work being done, and uh, I think there's potential down the road to, to greatly reduce, minimize, and, and eventually they, we won't need narcotics. But with, what that time frame is, it's hard to say. It's not any time on the horizon, just, just soon. Right. Anyway. Right. Unfortunately. Well, in the meantime, it's really great to know that uh, folks are out there working, uh, working hard to try to find ways to help people manage their pain without opioids. And, uh, again, I want to thank you for the work that you're doing. You're, you're helping people, uh, you know, in ways that can really minimize the risk of addiction. And, um, and, and I really appreciate you sharing that information with our audience today. Thank you so much for, for being on the show today. Well, thank you. I, I greatly appreciate it. I, I, I love trying to educate folks, other physicians, and, and the lay public and, and what can be done and, and how we're, we are trying to help in, in this arena. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to have the opportunity to be able to do that with my patients and talk about it to the other folks. That's great. And for our listeners uh, who may not have caught all of the show, the show will be available as a download on Voice America website as well as on www.westbridge.org. Uh, again, we thank you for listening, and, and Dr. Hickman, thank you again for, uh, for sharing your information with us. This is Jonathan Ruth here signing out for One Hour at a Time. We appreciate you joining us today for One Hour at a Time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion, One Hour at a Time. We'll see you next week.